3: Final hour, Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler, Deborah Flora coming up at three, Stefan Tubbs at four until seven. Of course, I host the Jimmy Sangenberger Show every Saturday morning from six to nine. Be sure to tune in. Then, great to be with you today. And I'm looking outside, snow, snow, snow. I haven't even given us the chance, Mother Nature. To let the snow and the ice melt before we get more of it. Doesn't look like it's supposed to be that much snow coming our way today. But just when you think things are melting away, you're going to add at least a little bit to it. Of course, our telephone number 303-696-1971 will open up the phones in the next segment. We've also, of course, got the On your smartphone, 710 KNUS app, where you can text in to the show. Please feel free to do so there. Dan Crenshaw of Texas losing a committee chairmanship because he called Republican holdouts last week, terrorists. We'll get to that coming up a little later in the program. But let's turn locally. We talked about how Democrats coming for the Biden administration. is coming for your gas stove. Well, what are they doing here in Colorado? There's lots to talk about, including how they are once again coming for your TABOR refunds. To dive into that and more as the legislative session gets underway, I'm pleased to be rejoined by Michael Fields, president of Advance Colorado, who joins us now. Good morning, Michael, and Happy New Year.
1: Good morning, Jimmy. Good to be on with you, and Happy New Year to you, too.
3: Good to be with you. So we were just talking during the break about one of those things that we're now all realizing is this $0.10 per bag fee, yes, fee as they call it, that has now been slapped on all across the state. Then there'll be the ban, outright ban, next year when that happens. And just to kind of set us up for where we are at, You have a coalescence of factors, and Axios did a great piece I think, over the weekend or last week on the coalescence of all of these taxes in Colorado that are just hitting us right at the beginning of the year, and they're piling and piling up, Michael.
1: Yeah, and you think about it. You know, the governor, Polis, ran on the fact that he wanted to save people money, uh, delayed some of these (laughs) fees that are now going to be starting up, think the gas fee, Uh, You know, delivery fees that started a few months ago. You mentioned the the plastic bag fee. Axios, the, the headline was Colorado hit by tsunami of higher taxes, new fees and paycheck cuts. And that's what's happening in Colorado heading into the new year. Uh, and, and really, you know, you think of some of these other things that are going up, like property taxes are going to be increasing, uh, and then yeah, you mentioned they're coming after our Tabor refund. so I don't know how they're going to be saving us money when they're taking more of it through fees and taxes.
3: Well, they aren't, I mean, let's go to one example, so they're not just taxing plastic bags, they're also taxing paper bags, and oh, of course they call it a fee, because that's what they always do to yeah, avoid that. Get around that, Tabor. That, Yeah, exactly, that nasty, nasty, diabolical Tabor thing, but One thing that you're now noticing is Grubhub and DoorDash and those kinds of companies now have an additional fee that is put in place for their services. And then on top of that, you go to a restaurant now and those paper bags have often now 10-cent fees. Like they're adding costs even more to that kind of service that everybody, including millennials and Gen Z most especially, use on a regular basis. Yeah. And when it comes
1: down to it, you know, somebody has to pay for it and it always gets passed on to consumers. And so we talk about inflation. We talk about the cost of living being higher uh, than ever in Colorado. This is the kind of stuff that adds up 10 cents, 27 cents, exactly. you know, et cetera, on everything. Uh, then we end up paying a lot more. Government gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's how we end up with, you know, over a 40 billion dollar budget here in Colorado when wages aren't going up nearly as fast as government spending is.
3: Now, we have we mentioned it before this pesky, pesky Tabor thing, the taxpayers bill of rights, which 30 years ago this month, this month Mm -hmm. went into effect a couple of weeks ago. I wrote about the the gloriousness of Tabor and what it has done for us, including letting us keep more of our money, because when the government brings in more money than it's cap allows, then that has to go through a formula, but it has to go back to the people. Well, now, once again, Michael, the Democrats are trying to target our Tabor <laughs> refunds under the guise of education funding to pay teachers more.
1: Yeah, so a couple things. One is we've had more money going into education than ever the last few years. You think about, you know, the COVID money that that went in. Uh, Governor Polis had an increase to education. We have more money than ever going into education. The problem is it's not getting to teacher pay. And I know you've talked about this a lot, and I have over the years, of how much money does not get into the classroom goes to bureaucracy, administrative costs. But on the other side of it, you know, these are people who just ran, you you think, last year on the Colorado cashback, which was just Tabor refunds. Exactly. They said, we're going to send back this check, $750.00. Uh, per person. And, you know, this is going to help, you know, with the, the increased cost of living, et cetera. They ran on it. They put it on their mailers, everything else. Right. And it took not even one week into session where they're coming out with a bill to take those away permanently. And And think about the amount of money we're talking about. The four year projection over $9 billion that they're trying to take. Uh, away from us that we would get under the taxpayers' bill of rights. And so if they do bring this, it would go to voters this year. And they had just done this in 2019, trying to take away Tabor refunds, and voters thankfully defeated it. And so if they do bring it to us, you know, we'll do the same campaign, try to convince people that their $750 check is better in their pocket than going to government, and hopefully it goes down again.
3: Now, one thing that I wonder, again, we're talking with Michael Fields, president of Advance Colorado, and by the way, a former teacher yourself, I should Mm -hmm. put that out there, Michael. But when we see locally property taxes that are put forward to raise taxes for education, Doug Coe being an exception, this last go around, which I actually uh, supported. I'm not a Mm -hmm. Doug Coe resident, but I did support the bond and MLO efforts that uh, narrowly were defeated. But Generally speaking, when you see a an attempted tabor override, usually in this case, it would be a mill levy override for property taxes because that 's the primary way that school districts are funded, voters tend to be more willing to give that a go because it's for teacher pay or whatever with education. Do you think that's part of the thinking the Democrats here is, well maybe we can finally get rid of this pesky tabor cap in order and in order to do that, do it by saying we're going to pay teachers more?
1: I think that's the approach. They know that that people want teachers to get paid more and it will always use that. It'll pull the highest uh you know out of anything. And so yes, I think that's the overall approach, but I think it's been tried before uh, and, and it's not successful because people know that the money is not being used the right way. And I think you to your point, the local ones tend to be more s- successful because they're very specific. And, you know, this is a question, do you trust your school district? Do you touch the the school board in charge? Yeah. Uh, do you think the money's going to go there? It might be sunset, you know, it could have, a, th- there's times when, you know, people, voters will reject something and then they want, you know, the, the people bringing it to make it more specific, to make it better, to have more accountability, then they'll pass it. At the state level, there's very little trust, and for good reason, right? All the things we're talking about that they're doing, uh, getting around Tabor, et cetera, uh, people statewide have a lot different view than they do locally. And I think that's good. I think the accountability is better on that on the local side of things. Well, but one more point on, on yeah. property tax te- property taxes are gonna be going up so much mm-hmm. that even if you don't adjust those mills, because our housing values have gone up, we're gonna be paying so much more, education's gonna get so much more money. I think, you know, that the the balance is off and that we're gonna be paying too much and people are gonna have a hard time staying in their homes. After 2024, with these new assessments, but that's a discussion that can be had at the local level more than the state level.
3: Yeah, a good point. And just real quick, back onto the the funding at the state level of education yeah. for the idea of more teacher pay, et cetera. I wonder how confident the people of Colorado would be that the money that they would give to the state would actually make it to their school district. I mean, that is a big difference between their willingness, go to your point, their willingness to say, "Okay, we'll give more money for a local school district versus the state. is you do know, it's going to go to your district and you have your own confidence level for that district as opposed to the state where it may or may not really make it much to you.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a great point in that this is a statutory change, right? And so at any point, one, one, money's fungible, right? So they can say, oh, no, that is going to education. We're just going to spend more money on something else. Uh, But two, they could actually go in after we approve that money going to government. They could change where that money goes. And that's always the danger in these types of measures is that it's not a constitutional amendment where they have to do it. Um, Once we say, you know what, that sounds good. You can have this money. They can change it either, you know, actually change the law or just say, oh, money's fungible. And now we're going to put more towards these other programs that we want to do. And so I think there is that mistrust uh, for very good reason. Uh, and this goes all the way back to Ref C, right? When they first took Tabor refunds for five years, uh, they didn't spend it the way that they said they were going to. And mm-hmm. I think people remember that for people who have been here and voting for right? you know, a couple decades
3: now. Well, And then I always thought it was kind of funny that... The last time they tried this big Tabor grab, let's get you away with Tabor and let the state take the money it was called Prop CC, which to me was like doubling down on Referendum uh, C from back in the mid-2000s. Again, Michael Fields, our guest. I want to shift gears here to something else. This was really interesting. Now, this one is not something that was passed by the legislature. It was passed by voters Mm -hmm. in Colorado a couple years ago in 2021, but we're about to see the chickens come home to roost, and the legislature may well need to step in and do something, and This is the family program, F-A-M-L-I, which is really a disaster in waiting. I write about this in my column for Colorado Politics today. It was passed by the voters in Proposition 118, establishing a paid family and medical leave program funded by premiums, really fees, really taxes that function. It's basically a payroll tax, Mm -hmm. 0.45%. From the employee, 0.45% for the employer. And that kicks in this year, the tax. And next year, the benefits will start being paid out. And those benefits include up to 16 weeks of paid family leave. This is a boondoggle in the Common Sense Institute released an analysis last week, finding that they're not going to be able to keep it solvent unless they up the amount of money that they're able to take from workers and employers. What do you make of all this?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a big issue. I'm glad the Common Sense Institute uh, did this report. I would encourage everybody to go and and look at it. But basically, you're right that they're saying the projections that the state are showing, uh, you know, aren't going to be what really happens, given the fact that we've seen this in other states. And you mentioned Washington is a state that has done this, um, but you just add up the numbers over the next few years, and it's going to become insolvent at some point. Uh, And really looking at, you know, the fact that these premiums, you talked about the 0.9, the 0.45, and the 0.45, that can only go up to 1.2, there's a cap. Uh, But the projections show that it would need to be at 1.7. And so thinking about that, you know, there's going to have to be an adjustment, as you mentioned, the legislature is going to have to come in and do something to uh, adjust those benefits in order to make it uh, be solvent. And so this is another one where, you know, good intentions, people read it on the ballot and they think, oh, I'm sure the numbers will add up. This sounds like a great idea. Uh, You know, the the devil's in the details. uh, And it looks like this is going to be a big not only a big burden on employ employers and employees, uh, but it's going to be something that, you know, is not sustainable over the long run.
3: Now, Michael Fields, one of the things that was passed by the legislature also a couple of years ago in 2021 is something called the public option, which, of course, is. And this was talked about for years, even going back to the Obamacare debate. Some yeah. Democrats were particularly advocating for it, but it was stripped out of the final version of the so-called Affordable Care Act but it would um, it's setting up this public option standardized government health insurance options um that may and, and color is the second one to do it and it requires that you offer a particular plan that has a premium rate that is 6% less than those it offered last year starting this year 2024 it's got to be 12% and then they have requirements for 2026 on But people aren't signing up for this, and you only have one insurance provider in Colorado that even offers this kind of a plan. And looking at Washington State and others, Politico did a survey of three states that tried to do this public option, and they've been absolutely floundering in this. It has not worked out, and to me, it's another instance of the state here Trying to get involved in dictating to the private economy what it should be doing as far as health insurance or whatever else, and it's completely going awry.
1: Yeah, it doesn't work. Um, and you look at you know the, again the numbers don't add up, uh, and you know you have less competition, right? You have one insurer that's going to participate in this. Uh, it's something that that should make people very nervous because you know you're talking about a healthcare system that is so important. I mean, think about COVID that happened or, or things that happen. The quality of healthcare has to re, has to remain strong. Um, but, you know, this is something where uh, the government state government is going to have to step in if the numbers don't add up and put more money. And so to your point about taking our TABOR refunds, mm-hmm. this is one where, OK, they're going to say, you know, oh, that's all going to education, but it's going to have to go to help short family leave. It's going to have to go to uh, you know, the public option in healthcare. care. Exactly. So I'm very worried about the growth of government trying to get government to fix every problem. Why don't we try loosening some of the regulations and letting people buy a cheaper plan that covers what they need? <laughs> like That would be uh, a better solution and having more competition right. than chasing everybody out of the market, having one group and then having taxpayers be on the hook for paying for it.
3: Well, Michael Fields, this just goes back to why the taxpayers bill of rights is so critical as a check yep. on government.
1: It's the only check right now, uh, given the fact that Democrats, liberals control everything. Uh, the fact that they can't raise taxes, uh, they can go around and try to do fees, and we've tried to block that, and we need to uh, continue that fight. But overall, they can't just come in and raise billions of dollars of taxes without voter approval. And so the voters become the check on government right now, government growth. And so I hope that, that people you know, look into Tabor more. Uh, it's very popular. The polling is even higher after those seven hundred fifty dollar checks uh, went out. But it is so important, given that we have you know no power in the state right now as conservatives and we need to claw it back. But in the meantime, Tabor is what's you know, the road, the only roadblock for, for liberals right now.
3: So we are just in the very first days of the legislative session. What will you be watching over the next 100 plus days, Michael Fields? And what should folks be paying attention to?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of times these bills come up late, as we mentioned. And so all these economic issues, you know, the increased fees, you mentioned green energy mandates on the national level, but it'll come on the state level. Uh, You think about crime, crime's another issue. Governor Polis said, hey, we want to be top 10 safest states in the country. Well, how are we going to do that when there's bills about cashless bail or trying to lessen penalties for criminals. And so we'll watch the, the crime issue really closely. And then education too, you know, there, there could be an assault on charter school funding on trying to block more school choice in the state. And so there's a lot of issues, you know, you know, they've been going after oil and gas for years, uh, yeah. you know, and, and all these other sectors, but on education, you know, is school choice going to remain something that Coloradans value or not. And so kind of these broader categories of crime education, uh, some of these economic and tax issues is what well. we're going to be watching in advance, Colorado.
3: Yeah. And I'm definitely attuned to the gun control efforts. I mean, yes. we've got the most extreme gun control bill you could imagine you saw, already yes. introduced.
1: Totally unconstitutional, but they're going to go and, and, and try to do it, I'm sure. Uh, but yes, that's another another big issue to, to watch this year. And
3: flagrantly unconstitutional, not just under the federal constitution, but Colorado's state yes. Constitution as well, just to be sure. Michael Fields, president of Advance Colorado, always great to check in with you, my friend. Happy New Year and look forward to more conversations throughout the session. Thanks for having me on. Happy New Year, Jimmy. You as well. Once again, Michael Fields joining us. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler. What do you make of the state of Colorado? And I don't mean the state of Colorado, this beautiful state, but the state of this state. And where we are at right now, what the Democrats are trying to achieve and the disastrous consequences of their policies and their programs, whether they pass it through the legislature or they con the people of Colorado into approving it. My column today in Colorado Politics, The Grim Economic Truth of Family and Public Option. Ends this way. It is said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The public option and family programs may be well-intentioned, but failure to consider economic reality has inevitably doomed them both. Eventually, who is the government going to force to make up the shortfalls? Now, it ends with that question, but the answer really is you and me. That's what they're going to do if they feel the need to do that instead of backpedaling on the agenda that they've pursued. Polis won't even eliminate the two-cent gas tax increase. And the fee, the new fee that's supposed to go into effect on July 1st, there really is an additional gas tax. Tells you exactly where the priorities are for the Democrats who control the governor's mansion and the General Assembly. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler. On the other side, a couple more things going on locally and nationally. Dan Crenshaw losing his committee chairmanship after calling GOPers terrorists. That's a little interesting story. What do you make of that? Should there be consequences? I would think... That it's not just Jan Crenshaw, it's people on all sides of that debacle last week that maybe should face some sort of consequences for language that got too heightened, etc. But not so sure how many people will actually get the kind of penalty that a Crenshaw did. Keep it right here. You're listening to Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. 29 minutes before 10 o'clock, it is snowing out with a high of 36. Chillier today, but it will start picking up again in the next few days. Supposed to be sunny, and by Saturday will be 59 degrees. And as I keep saying, hopefully the snow and ice that we have gotten will finally melt by then before we add more to. The streets that seem to never end with their snow and ice. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler today. News Talk 710 KNUS or telephone number 303-696-1971. You can text into the show on the 710 KNUS app on your smartphone. Adam Shifty Schiff and Eric Swalwell are both being tossed from the House Intelligence Committee by Republicans, saying you're not allowed on this committee any longer. Similarly, Ilhan Omar is being blocked from going to the Foreign Affairs Committee. Now, on the one hand, I don't like this per se. One party going after the other party on committee appointments, but Democrats opened the door wide open over the past few years in their own way. Now... What's good for the goose is good for the gander. But they're not the only ones to lose positions on committees, including leadership positions. For example, Adam Shifty Schiff is or has been, was rather the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Now he's being tossed off the Intelligence Committee. Well, Congressman Dan Crenshaw of Texas... He's one of the most prominent members of the House Republican Conference, well known, was denied the chairmanship of the Chamber's Homeland Security Committee on Monday in favor of a House Freedom Caucus member, Representative Mark Green of Tennessee, who will now lead the panel, according to the New York Post, which provides oversight over the Department of Homeland Security, and handles issues related to illegal immigration and terrorism. Why is this the case? Well, Crenshaw told CNN of the 20 holdouts last week, they are enemies now. They have made it clear that they prefer a Democrat agenda than a Republican one. And he added to Fox News radio host Guy Benson later that day, We cannot let the terrorists win. They demand more places on committees. So McCarthy says, "Okay, give me a list of names. And then they refuse. And then they say, oh, you're trying to trick us. You know, I mean, it's like playing with children. I mean, it's very difficult to understand what it is they want. And then later he defended himself on Sunday. Saying, obviously, to people who took offense by that, it's pretty obvious that it's meant as a turn of phrase. To the extent that I have colleagues that were offended by it, I sincerely apologize to them. I don't want them to think I actually believe they're terrorists. It's clearly a turn of phrase that you use in what is an intransigent negotiation. Look, honestly, I think it's overkill to toss him off that leadership position. A scolding, apology, that kind of thing makes perfect sense. But look, it was tense last week. It was insane last week. And you can understand the utter frustration, especially because it appears that most of what was agreed in the final rules package and most of the concessions that McCarthy made were made prior to last Tuesday. Not everything, not the particularly the motion to vacate so that one Republican can say we want to vote a no confidence in the Speaker of the House. That looks like it was achieved through last week's negotiations and so forth. But I, I kind of understand the frustration. Now, not good to use that language, terrorist, to describe fellow Republicans. I mean, yes, you're going to be critical. It should, you should be critical of your own party at times. But Ronald Reagan did say, thou shalt not speak ill of a fellow Republican is the 11th commandment. And Crenshaw most certainly violated that by saying terrorists. But the idea that he should be tossed off, there are a lot of people, I think, last week who said and did things that should face some sort of consequence if we're going to level that against Crenshaw. If, uh, rather, the House is going to do that. House GOP, Speaker McCarthy. Uh, Mike Rogers looked like he was ready to go pummel. Completely pummel Matt Gates in that big show in the uh on the floor of the House Friday night. I mean, is that is he still gonna be chair of the House Armed Services Committee? Yes, he is. So where's the where's the standard there? So I just I I I think it's it's kind of silly to remove him from that leadership post, Dan Crenshaw, unless you're going to go after other Republicans and get them to face consequences for some of the things they said and did last week. But we'll see what happens in that regard. Listener text. I just moved here from California. God bless you. I figure this state is about seven to ten years behind California with the stupidity Control and taxes. Yes. First of all, welcome to Colorado. Second of all, I'm sorry that other Californians have been coming here and helping to Californicate Colorado. You're right. The stupidity, control and taxes are headed towards Colorado. But thank God we have the taxpayers bill of rights making that a lot more difficult. And the voters in Colorado have tended to support Tabor and defending Tabor and keeping it in place so that we can keep more of our money. It is a major significant check on government overreach. And it's something California does not have. I think if memory serves me, California used to have something kind of similar, but they got rid of it. And when they did, all hell broke loose. And then you ended up being in the position that California is now a hellhole in so many ways, and Colorado heading in that direction. What a travesty and a tragedy this all is. So what's interesting, too, just about last week, the House GOP had a Freedom Caucus where 20 members of the Freedom Caucus Really pushed back and did manage to get some concessions before and after holding out on votes for McCarthy. Well, it's interesting, over in the Wall Street Journal, there is a left-wing progressive, self-described progressive named Ted Rawl, who was complimentary saying, look, the right had this. They were able to get concessions. Their tactics were superb, he said. They extracted substantial concessions consistent with their beliefs and their promises to constituents. I dream that the House Democratic Caucus will someday have an analogous faction, purist, leftist, determined to force leadership to bend to their will. Finally, the progressive base of the Democrats, the majority without whom the party could never win, might have a seat at the table long dominated by corporatists. In 2021, I've been referencing this for the past week and a half. In 2021, Democrats behind the scenes were gearing up some of the the squad members for an effort called force the vote. We're going to withhold our vote for Pelosi's speakership. Unless we get concessions that we're going to vote on something like Medicare for All, etc. Even just symbolic votes put people on the record. Pelosi managed to nip that in the bud. It didn't happen. And she was elected speaker on the first ballot. There was no real dissent. But the left-wing flank didn't get what they wanted. They didn't get a thing that they wanted. So who's more effective, the squad on the left or the House GOP's Freedom Caucus? Well, Ted Rawl's right. The Freedom Caucus is more effective, and they managed to do this. Now, it was embarrassing. Maybe it will come back to bite Republicans. But nevertheless, they were able to accomplish this objective in a way that the leftists in Congress, the outright leftists, weren't able to do before. And that, I think, should be something notable for conservatives everywhere. But it should also be a little bit of a warning in the sense that you could get bogged down in back and forth between different factions in the Republican Party instead of let's just coalesce behind a particular objective. Let's embarrass each other less. I don't know. We'll see what happens in that regard moving ahead. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler. We've got one more segment on the other side. Any final thoughts? Welcome into the program. By the way, a recommendation to check out Crenshaw's podcast, noting that it is very good. I've heard that. But I haven't listened to the podcast before. But thanks for texting that in. Jimmy and for George, you're listening to Denver's local talk leader, News Talk, 710 KNUS. Final segment Jimmy and for George. That is Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler today on this snowy and cold wednesday january eleventh thirty six degrees as we are all oh, thirteen minutes or so before ten o'clock yesterday, Joe Biden was at a summit with Mexico's President andres Manuel Lopez Obrador and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada. And he said one of the additional, uh, another thing that you can add to the list of things that don't make sense. The Biden said,
0: "Listen to this." I want the record to show. I don't know what questions I didn't answer. I'm prepared
3: later. Thank you very much. Wait, what? Uh, Let's say that one more time. I want
0: the record to show. I don't know what questions I didn't answer. I'm prepared later. Thank you very I, much. I
3: want the record to show. I don't know what questions I didn't answer I'm prepared later. What? <laughs> Is he basically saying, like, I know what questions I'm going to get in advance, but I don't know the questions that I didn't answer? I, I don't know. Does he ever really make sense? I mean, listen to his defense of the classified documents in his possession. But I don't know what's in the documents.
0: I My lawyers have not... Suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. And we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review, and which I hope will be finished soon. And uh, there'll be more detail uh, at that time. I want the record to show. I don't know what questions I didn't answer. I'm prepared later. Thank you very much.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I just, I I mean, that's our president. That's the president of the United States right there. It makes you scratch your head and just wonder, what? How? In what world? But on that subject of Biden and the classified documents showing up, watch this closely. Watch how the politics plays out and how the Democrats message this thing. Do they put the onus back on Donald Trump for how the Mar-a-Lago situation was handled from his standpoint and try to defuse the attacks that will come against Biden, rightly so against Biden, for classified documents randomly showing up? Or will Republicans successfully make this a winning issue as far as, the very least, challenging the Democrat narratives on this? challenging their arguments, challenging making it more difficult for them to go after Trump and Republicans. It is always fascinating to see some of how the politics play out in these things. I think Phil Wegman of Real Clear Politics put a little bit of this in perspective pretty well. Well,
2: the answer that he gave there is going to set alarm bells off for Republicans because it's internally incongruent. You have the president of the United States saying that he does not know what is in these documents and he didn't elaborate on how they made it into his private study, uh, whether or not they included information about methods or sources. And that dog is not going to hunt for a House GOP that wants to take a bite out of administration. They're going to be asking a number of the questions that Guy alluded to a moment ago. uh, And chief among them, I think, is going to be how many more documents are floating out and around there in Biden world. Uh, And then, of course, you do have the question of whether or not the uh, Department of Justice handles these issues uh, in two separate ways. Certainly there's differences. According to the official story, the Biden lawyers turn them over uh, almost immediately to National Archives. Uh, but, you know, this is going to be an embarrassment for the current president because if he finds himself opposite Donald Trump on a debate stage, he's not going to be able to slam him like he has previously when it comes to taking documents to Mar-a-Lago. Yes. Take some- of the wind out of the sails. Yes, of that
3: Yes, absolutely. I think Wegman is spot on in that. Now, that doesn't mean that the Democrats can't successfully prosecute the opposite case, but it makes it a lot more difficult for them to do so, especially when you have things like this said by Biden last year. When you saw the photograph of the top secret
0: documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago, what did you think to yourself looking at that image? how that could possibly happen how one anyone could be that irresponsible and i thought what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods by that i mean names of people who helped or etc and it's just uh, totally irresponsible
3: totally irresponsible that's what biden said about trump holding any classified documents, and then randomly they show up six days before the midterm elections. They show up at this so-called think tank, the Penn Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah, they're turned over 24 hours after that, but how the hell did they show up? What were they? How did they get there? Lot of unanswered questions that must be answered by the Biden administration. And they're very fair questions. Now, one thing I want to end with as we wrap up the show, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador is the president of Mexico. And he thanked Biden for something that a president who's trying to show seriousness at the southern border should never be thanked for. You
0: president biden
3: you are the first president of the united states in a very long time that has not built not even one meter of wall and that we thank you
0: for that sir
3: the first president in a very long time not to uh, to build not even one meter of wall and for that we thank you He's down there in Mexico after visiting the southern border, where we have a humanitarian disaster and a national security crisis. And Joe Biden is trying to exude, oh, I'm on top of this and I'm visiting it. Visiting the southern border for a photo op, dog and pony show, as one local reporter put it over the weekend. But I'm doing it, and I'm giving a speech, and I'm talking about how I'm taking this seriously. Then he go to Mexico, a country that needs to be involved significantly in paring back this crisis of illegal immigration going through Mexico into the United States. And he's literally thanking the president of the United States, of America, for not building even one meter of wall. What? How does that work? How is that something that you want to embrace or want to hear from another world leader? Absolutely preposterous. (laughs) Listener text here. What classified documents are in Biden's basement? I want the record to show I don't know what questions I didn't answer. I'm prepared later. Thank you very much. He probably doesn't even know. In fact, remember, listen, he said he didn't even know.
0: But I don't know what's in the documents. I've, my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were.
3: He doesn't even know what's in the documents. So who knows? Biden doesn't even know what classified documents are in Biden's basement or Biden's pen, the pen Biden center or whatever the heck it's called or anywhere else. Who knows what else may show up in the Penn Biden Center, in the Biden's basement, wherever. We don't know. But at least the record shows that he didn't know what he didn't answer. I
0: want the record to show I don't know what questions I didn't answer. I'm prepared later. Thank you very much.
3: (laughs) Maybe I've overplayed that a bit now. I meant to get to it earlier, but it's just it. It's one of those Biden sayings where you're like, OK, that makes you chuckle. But then you realize, oh, man, that guy is the leader of the free world, as it were. My goodness. Stay warm and drive safely out there. Again, 36 degrees, the high going to be getting some more snow today, but it will warm up and be fully sunny out in the next few days and be sure to tune in saturday morning six to nine right here on news talk 710 knus for the jimmy sangenberger show which indeed does run every saturday morning from six to nine so we'll see you then and there again stay warm outside enjoy the day and that's it for me Again, Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler. Check out my column as well at Colorado Politics today. The Grim Economic Truth of Family Public Option. Stay warm. Stay safe. Have a great one. God bless America.